Amen. Peace of Christ be with you, Hope College. Happy Friday. Mid-February, yeah, Friday. Hey, uh, we have some guests here that are checking out Hope College. We want to welcome you to our campus. We're so glad that you're here. We know that there are a lot of places you can look and a lot of places um, that you can go to school. And I hope you find the right place for you, but I really sincerely hope that today you might actually hear a call from God that hope might be a place for you. Whatever you decide, don't, don't choose a bumper sticker. Don't choose a brand. Choose a people, a people who will love you. And I wanted to just say from the bottom of my heart that the people at Hope will love you. So welcome. Let's welcome them again. Yeah. Uh, one quick notice, 4.30 today at Friday in Moss, there'll be love, sex, and dating um, conversation that Campus Ministries is putting on. We want to invite you all to come out. Why? Why? Because we care about all of your life. Not just the religious life, but your relational life, your love, your body, everything. And it's in that spirit that I want you to hear these words from Jesus today. We're back in the Gospel of John. We're picking up the beginning of John 17. John 17 is the end of the Upper Room Discourse, what begins Jesus' great prayer of unity. The Upper Room Discourse is kind of Jesus' last lecture. And this chapter 17 is the hinge moment in the Gospel of John between that Upper Room Discourse and his crucifixion and the coming glory of a resurrection. If you pay attention, when somebody's about to enter into something hard or painful or they're about to die, their prayers are really, really significant. Hear these words from the book we love, the bush that burns and is never consumed. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so the son might glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you might know God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I glorified you by finishing the work that you have given me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We overhear Jesus' words, his last lecture. He's done speaking and he begins to pray. Pray to God. And he says, the hour has come. In John, when he says the hour has come, it means the crucifixion. This is the moment where he's preparing his heart, mind, soul to face death. He knows this. He knows this. And in the midst of that, he prays. And in this prayer, Jesus makes an extraordinary claim that involves you, that involves me, that involves the world. Jesus says to the Father, my, my, the time has come, the hour has come. You've given me authority over all people to give eternal life to those whom you've given me. Jesus has authority over all people at all times and in all places and says to the Father that he's been entrusted to give eternal life to me, to you, to all. Eternal life. 
I have to confess that when I hear the word eternal life, I have this kind of Pavlovian instinct from my youth where I was a little rebellious. I grew up in the church, did the Sunday school, the catechism, did all of that, but I was sometimes skeptical about some of the spaces that I immersed myself in when the word eternal life came up. I grew up in a kind of place where there was kind of two lives. There was real life and there was church life. In real life, it was my everyday life. It was my getting up and taking a shower, eating breakfast and going to school and doing my homework and going to practice and having my friends and my love lives and my breakup lives and my, my grade life and my not so great life. It was my real life, my daily life. I loved that life. That life was interesting. It was a world filled with intoxicating wonders and it had heartaches and, and hard things that made me feel all my feels, but I was interested in this life right now. But then I'd go to church and I would hear about eternal life, this thing that was far, far away. Eternal life conjured up for me this kind of bombastic or pushy or manipulative preacher trying to get me to raise my hand at the right time so that I might join the club. I didn't, there's just something that felt like a contract. If I did this, then God would give me this. If I said all the right things, then I would get eternal life. And it just seemed to me that there seemed to be a disconnect between this and that, between my life and my church life. It seemed to me that this eternal life thing was something that I could push away, but it didn't have any correspondence to my getting up and going to school and my relational life at all. And that created a kind of sense of dissonance because I wanted this life to matter right now. I didn't want to have to wait for eternal life. And so eternal life kind of had this kind of sense that it was like an escape hatch. I could get a distraction away from the pain and the problems of this world and look to the future world by and by. But the thing is, I wasn't much interested in a God that didn't have much interest in this life. But Jesus talks about eternal life, the beginning of this prayer. He says he has the authority to give eternal life. I mean, let's be honest, who doesn't want eternal life? Who doesn't want immortality? It's the holy grail. It's, it's the secret desire of all of us undressed that we might not only live now, but live forever to have this kind of eternal hope. I want eternal life, but I also want it to matter now, which is why I find Jesus' words about eternal life so interesting, stunning, really. When I pay attention to Jesus, Jesus is not asking me to wait. Jesus is not offering me an insurance policy for death. What Jesus is inviting me into is a life right here, right now. My everyday lived life, school life, relational life matters now. I've given you authority over all people, says Jesus, to give eternal life to all who I've given you. And this is eternal life that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom I've sent. What is eternal life? Eternal life is a knowledge. Eternal life is not so much a place that we go to, but a person we belong to. Eternal life isn't something we have to wait for. It begins in a knowledge, but a particular kind of knowledge, a knowledge of God and in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. But there's a difference, you know this, between knowing and knowing about. 
To know God isn't to know about God. It's not just to know the story. To know God, the one true God and Jesus whom he sent, is about an intimacy, a relational knowledge. It's not the a priori two plus two equals four. It's not the deductive reasoning kind of knowledge. It's the knowledge you get when somebody gives you self-disclosure. You can't know Trig unless you actually sit and talk to me and I open my heart and my life up to you. You can read a bio, you can read a CV, but that's not knowing me or me knowing you. I can't just know about God. I need to know God, which requires God to offer himself to us, a kind of form of self-disclosure, what it, uh, in the church we might call revelation, this revelation where God lets himself be known. And here's the good news, my friends, that has happened. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus is God's self-disclosure, self-revelation to the world for all people at all times and in all places. We cannot know God by ourselves, but through Jesus. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Jesus is God's self-disclosure to the world. But wait, there's more. Jesus is not only the self-disclosure, he's also the source of the world. Listen to this from Paul. In him, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together now and forever. Why? Because he is the source of all life. Eternal life begins in him. He's the key that unlocks us from our presumed world where so much of us are trapped. Jesus is the one that draws us out of the darkness of sin into the bright light of the light from true light, where we find our feet on a narrow trail that leads farther up and further in to the high country of the Trinity, where the air is thin, but the glory is thick, and the gravity of grace brings us face to face with a living king in which all things hold together in him. Eternal life begins in knowledge of him. And the good news is that knowledge is available for us today. Right now, in this place, in your life, you're going to school life, your dating life, your sex life, not till you're married, life. <laughs> that life matters. I'm just saying that eternal life is not something we wait for. I love the story of John Stott, one of my heroes, widely credited with helping to spark a global Christianity movement, a, a simple pastor with a brilliant mind. At a conference, he was asked, Dr. Stott, where do you live? And he responded, heaven. He knew that heaven began in his real life right now because he knew Jesus, not just about Jesus, but he was intoxicated with this life of God and dedicated himself to that life. And my friends, that's my prayer for you, that here today, you might actually experience eternal life, the kind of relational life with God. It doesn't have to wait. It's not by and by until you die, it's right now. I hope you can say with conviction that your address is heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace.